we evolved in the context of natural systems. And once you start connecting, once you start feeling the love of what's around you, you're in. So that's engagement. Welcome to What Could Possibly Go Right, a project of the Post Carbon Institute. We interview cultural scouts, people who see far and serve others so that they can help us see more clearly and so we can act more courageously in these crazy times. I'm Vicki Robin, your host. Today you'll meet Judith Schwartz. I met her at a conference many years ago in Louisville, Kentucky on sustainable agriculture and healthy food. Um, and she had just written her first book on cows will save the planet. I was working on my book on local food, recounting my efforts to eat within 10 miles of my home and also to understand what it will take to have a thriving local food system. And one of my insights that was sort of hidden in plain sight is that uh, animals and plants are symbiotic in the landscape. We need animals in the landscape to keep our food healthy. Judith is an author who tells stories to explore and illuminate scientific concepts and cultural nuance. She takes a clear-eyed view at global environmental, economic, and social challenges and finds insights and solutions in natural systems. Uh, she has a BA from Brown University and an MSJ from Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism and an MA in Counseling Psychology from Northwestern. She writes for numerous publications, including The American Prospect, The Guardian, Discover, Scientific American, and Yale E360. Here's Judith. Okay, so hi, Judy. So good to see you. Great to see yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about last time I saw you was at my Zoom birthday party. And the first time I saw you was easily a decade ago, I think, when you were, um, when you just written Cows Will Save the Planet. And in a way, I think, I think you've been pursuing the question that this series pursues. You have been pursuing in your professional writing career, the question, what could possibly go right? In, in a way, and you know, the, the Cows Can Save the Planet, it was working with, with soils and, and animals and landscapes and water in plain sight is working with the water cycles. All of it is about, the, is about revealing that there's ways to work with the cycles of nature in a way that produces a flourishing abundance for everyone and everything. Um, yet uh, here we are suffering the consequences of precisely the opposite of sort of the grid of mo modernity being put over the natural cycles on the planet. And, and right now we're in the, hopefully, <laughs> I don't know if we're in the beginning or middle or where we are, but in the, in the literal pushback from mother nature on this. And so I'm not asking for, you know, your analysis or anything or what, we ought to do, but just through your eyes, putting on your headlamp, of having peered into this issue for so long, I'd love to see what you see when, when you think about this question in this moment of what could possibly go right? Well, first of all, I want to speak to the brilliance and importance of that question because it's a question we tend not to ask. 
And yet we need to ask that question perhaps more, more now than ever, because if we can't envision what we want, what we wish for, what we aspire to, then how are we ever going to get there? So I think that what we have been dealing with to a large extent is a lack of imagination and creativity. So let's open up that creativity. So let's say we do ask that question, what could possibly go right? And then we come up with an answer. Okay, I'll, I'll toss out an answer because it's the topic of my current book, which is we could all decide and put an effort towards restoring the world's ecosystems. Okay, so we've got a vision of what could go right. Then we can ask the question, well, what would that be like to get that there? What, what would that look like? What actions, what behaviors, what attitudes would get us there? But we need to get started by asking what we want, what it might look like, and how can we help make that happen? So that is what we could be doing and perhaps should be doing. And it's an opportunity. It's an invitation. People like you and me have just been chomping at the bit around this. But right now, as things are crashing, do you see openings that weren't there before for people? To, what opens do you see for people actually leaning into taking this on? you know, realizing that they don't want modernity anymore, they want something else. Where do you see that bubbling up? I see that everywhere from people who live in cities, who during the early part of the pandemic started to notice the birds outside, started to notice that that evoked something in them, some sense of connection to nature. I see a lot of people expressing the notion that we are a part of nature and to keep ourselves separate from nature is really causing our own demise as well as the demise of all that we love around us. So it can be hard to see this in part because of the nature of news. I mean, believe me, there's plenty to be concerned about, you know, and I'm totally there with you. But I think about this a lot that the nature of news is such that when something goes wrong, it's news. When something goes the way it's supposed to go, it isn't news. So we're never paying attention to how the natural world works or how communities function when they're going well and serving the people in them. So I just think it's really important to, to keep a lens on how things work. And one reason that I wrote this book is that there are so many efforts. There are people all over the world as we speak, quietly restoring the ecosystems in which they live. Often we don't hear about them because they're not checking in on social media, but often there are long duration projects that are underway. And because I knew this was happening, and I knew that so many of these projects have gotten such fabulous results. I felt compelled to put that out there because if people didn't know, 
that we can restore large scale damaged ecosystems, if it's not within the realm of what could possibly go right, then how is anyone going to get involved in this work? So I felt a disconnect between the hope and excitement of people who are engaged in regenerative agriculture and different kinds of ecosystem restoration projects and people who don't know that this is going on who say we're doomed and don't know where to put their energy. So I wanted to make that connection to say, hey, we are where we are and we need to accept accept that and accept that we don't know where things are going. But let's look at where we do have agency. And in particular, let's look at where we have more agency than we think we do. And that is with the health of ecosystems, which connects to climate because one area where we have really not been talking about is the role of functioning ecosystems in climate regulation. Okay, that's, that's like how nature works. And so we do have a lot of agency there. It's really part of this is, you know, people when they say, oh, what can I do? You know, you'll go like, oh, what I can put my hands on is my garden. What I might be able to put my hands on is a school garden or community garden. We just don't think, we don't have daily experience of thinking in ecosystems. And, and so uh, besides these projects, do you see that there's an emergence of people starting to realize, oh, it's a system. It's not, it's not a thing. I don't live in a thing. I'm not a thing. It's a system. And I live in a system and part of a system. How do people start getting out of the, the sort of immediacy, not just of the, you know, the news cycle, which is, of course, <laughs> when you said the, the nature of news uh, is, is very fast and, and problem-oriented, and then the news of nature is very slow. You know, the news of nature is, is a very different pace. Um, and, and so is that part of what you're seeing? Is that, is it, is that there's a, a feeling somewhere that people are starting to orient toward ecosystems rather than individual projects? Where do you see the world that you have been pointing to starting to come into being right now in the middle of this pandemic and maybe even in some way because of what we're going through? Yeah, well, first of all, I would say that working in a garden is part of the solution. For many people, it's a kind of gateway drug to larger engagement in the local watershed, in um, taking a course in herbology or permaculture, so and and also sharing with neighbors. So I live in Bennington, Vermont, and there was a webinar on gardening, and you know it like broke <laughs> you know it broke their expectations because so many people were interested. Um, I understand that locally seed garlic is impossible to get because everybody's growing. So, so that's engagement. When you're out in the garden, you are seeing the pollinators, you are seeing the, and hearing the birds. And that evokes, I mean, we, we evolved in the context of natural systems. And once you start connecting, once you start feeling the love of what's around you, you're in 
and that can be very local. It can connect to the local watershed. I'm seeing a lot of people are, I'm taking a permaculture design course right now. People want to learn. And there's been incredible learning online. In fact, I think it's amazing how much has been accomplished and people not only looking for distraction, but tuning into what they're feeling. And a lot of what they're feeling is a desire to connect with something real, which is the natural world. Right. The desire to connect with something real. Exactly. And even though we're relegated to sitting in our chairs on Zoom, um, somehow or another, we're getting more real. I mean, I know I'm, I'm, in, I'm in Zoom calls with people from all over the world. It's really delightful. Sometimes it's not because I have to get up at six in the morning. But, you know, it's, it's, this, it's this, this definite feeling of we're all in this together. I, I also, from what you're saying, I'm, this whole thing about going outdoors, you know, contrary to just sitting on Zoom, but the fact that we, to feel safer, we need to go outdoors, to not be indoors. And that going outdoors reminds us of our connection with nature and just even walking in your neighborhood, just even walking, you're a sort of an integrated system moving through a landscape. Just the, all the things of just being outdoors is, is part of the healing that could be coming from this in a strange sort of way. Definitely. I mean, one, you know, one concern that needs to be noted is that not everybody has the same access to the outdoors. And, you know, let us hope that we can do what we can to ensure that that people people do. But I think that the the lack of of our kind of ability to move in and out that we had grown accustomed to has has left us in a place where we pay more attention to smaller things. So, you know, for myself, I can say that the slowing down, the not traveling, the not reporting on site has kind of given me permission to, to love where I am in a very different way, as opposed to that being the backdrop and then real life happens elsewhere when I leave and then I come, come back. So, so, so that's, that that is different. Yeah, you brought up the the justice component, and that's another major piece of what we're living through. Is the it's almost like the apocalypse, the revealing of the dark um, consequences of modernity, and and how many things and people, how much life has moved to the margins, in order to create this sort of clean surface on which we're going to you know, place our grids of, you know, our human future. So where do you see in, re in relation to the work you do on ecosystem restoration and noticing the natural cycles? Talk a little bit about where you see that happening uh, in relationship to these big issues of justice where people don't have access to the outdoors, may, they may not even have access to indoors, that they're um, in degraded landscapes. Like what, what are you seeing? Are people like starting to take hold of their own landscapes, even as degraded as they are? What are you seeing about that? 
Well, one thing I am, what I do look at is the opportunity inherent in all of the degraded landscapes throughout the world. So if we look at this country, for example, there are huge areas which are underpopulated that need people to help restore the landscapes. And I know that there are people who are seeing this and looking at communities where they can invest in different kinds of regenerative agriculture projects that also give local people a a reason to stay give because people moving all over people don't necessarily want to leave their homes i mean that that's pretty demoralizing when the place that you your family has been for generations can no longer offer a viable future. So I'll just give you one example. So um, for the the book, I went to Spain and there's a company called Common Land. It's based in the Netherlands and they have, I think eight landscapes now where they are working. And they go, basically this company is creating investment and business opportunities in the realm of restoring landscapes. So I went to this region of Spain, the Altiplano, which is, it crosses several provinces. So it's a pretty large area. And what's been happening is because of industrial agriculture, the land had degraded, you know, it was compacted. It was basically like the soil was high mineral. I mean, it was reddish, but there was no life in it. So, Um, people had been, young people had been leaving and there were a lot of abandoned farms and just abandoned orchards and and all of that. So Common Land came in and helped a local group of farmers and and activists and community leaders start and helped support people in enterprises that would restore the land as well as offer a a crop. So the main crop is, this is the largest area of rain-fed almond production in the world. So they centered on the almonds and then they planted around the almonds, which no one had been doing, so that you had cover crops so that those plants were drawing down, um, holding the soil together and pulling up different minerals and drawing down carbon. And then they also are starting to integrate the sheep that are eating those plants, which by the way, those plants also are a product because they yield essential oils. But so this whole matrix, rather than one crop, many crops that all support each other and young people are starting to come back. So the spirit was really high because people have something to to live for. And what I'll note is about, about these projects is that they go on, so it's four returns, return of finance, return of nature, return of social capital or community well-being, and return of inspiration. And it's that inspiration level that, that's really ineffable. And I think that in so many areas, people feel you know, they've been left behind and they don't have a connection to their culture. They don't feel, you know, the agency to create art and and all of that. But that inspiration 
piece is actually a really, really good example of what could go right. <laughs> right. And, and so it took, it took common land coming in, seeing this opportunity, sort of these are like models, right? Um, yeah, just in our last few minutes, I'm wondering if you could spin a picture for us, like here in the United States, where we do have the heartland is, I mean, there's a lot of complexity there. There's like mega agriculture. And then there's also towns that are being abandoned. Can you paint a picture for us of the possibilities that are coming forward now with this sort of renewed interest about like inhabiting the heartland with a more regenerative uh, approach? Yes, and it is happening. And if for no other reason, it's because the industrial agricultural model is really not serving the people who are practicing it or are applying it. I mean, it is serving the people who are selling the chemical products. But other than that, I know that there are large areas where many, many people have cancer that right. people attribute to that. So, and then the farmers themselves are spending tons and tons of money on inputs. And then because the, the soil is continually degraded, they need to keep pumping that up. But I have spoken to consultants in the heartland, working in the heartland that are telling me that a lot, there's a big shift happening. A lot of people are changing how they do things. So in different air parts of the country, there's the farming areas. There are also the, the, the rangelands, the grazing areas where people are, you know, again, on a small to moderate scale right now, applying holistic planned grazing, which restores the soil which supports the grasses the healthier grasses and so then you have cattle that are not stuck in feeding confinements but are are really there and getting nourishment and they're eating the grasses that they were designed for as opposed to um, grains that may be a cheap filler so that is happening but it needs to be done everywhere vermont we're we're it may look pretty but you know we, I know we could be doing better. And I think it's really about valuing ecological function, valuing how water cycles and moves, how the state of the soil, how we're using the sunlight, which is what fuels everything we produce. Are we using the sunlight to serve life and feed people and wildlife? Or is the sunlight beaming down and creating heat. That's where I'll, I'll leave it, valuing what nature does. Exactly, and I, I, it's almost like what could possibly go right in this moment. Uh, it seems like prior to the actual implementation of planting the cover crop, there is this belief that planting the cover crop is going to do something um, uh, that's gonna heal it's going to work. It's the belief that it can work. And it's something about ecological restoration that is, is linked for me with the belief that we are not a failed species on a dying planet, but we are a creative species on a living planet. And that we have so much creativity and so much life right before us. And this news cycle keeps us glued to what's wrong while the natural cycles 
are like this banquet, you know, it's sort of like this big invitation, the picnic blanket. And, and even if you don't know how to farm or whatever, just that going outdoors and noticing things, working in your garden, listening to the birds, you know, you start to see how in everyday life you can participate in the regenerative process. And I think that's a pretty good <laughs> hope. Yes. yes, I was just going to add that I have a friend who teaches permaculture to children in New York City. And they look at the soil around a city tree, you know, like next to the sidewalk or in a break in a sidewalk. And they work with that soil and they see the soil life emerge and they see the pollinators come and they plant things. And that brings it all to life for these children. So when I say it can happen anywhere, it can. Exactly. Thank you so, so much for entertaining this question and painting the picture. I feel like you've painted a picture for us. Of It's like a picture of what could possibly go right. It's a feeling, it's not a thing. And then, and then if you have the vision and you have the inspiration, then, then you'll do the hard work. And it's gonna be hard work, it's no joke. Yeah. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review which will help this hopeful message get out to more people. And check out the Post-Carbon Institute website for show notes and for more guest information. Thanks to all our donors for their support. Thanks also to Cher Miller, Amy Boringrud, and Clara Winter at Post-Carbon Institute, plus production assistant Michelle Wig from frugalityandfreedom.com.